everybody. If I haven't met you, my name's Anthony, Anthony Weiss, and uh, I'm one of the student ministers here at uh, St Mark's and um, have just completed my third year at uh, Moore College. I thought um, we'd try something a little different today by uh, playing Who Am I? Now, I know some of you were at the morning services, so there's no cheating with this, if you were. And uh, it's going to go like this. There's a book prize. Um, I've brought along um, Tim Keller, The Songs of Jesus, because I think it'd be great to... No, 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 no. Paul Chu's already putting his hand up, but he was at all the services this morning, so his... Uh, <laughs> thank you. So at 8 o'clock, the prize was a copy of the 1662 Book of Common Prayer, um, which I thought would be appropriate in large print uh, for them. And at uh, 10 o'clock, a couple actually visiting from Queensland uh, picked up Dermot McCulloch's book, The Reformation. And I was very excited that uh, Queenslanders got it because going to Brisbane, I thought many churches there have never heard of the Reformation. So perhaps uh, bringing that book up there might be a great encouragement. Anyway, for you young guns here, uh, a copy of Tim Keller's The Songs of Jesus, A Year of Daily Devotions in the Psalms. And I think we can un undo, uh, underestimate uh, the value of the Psalms. So anyway, here we go. Uh, who am I? There are a number of clues. Ah, very good. But that's not who it is. Um, I campaigned in the United States presidential election by saying as little as possible about what I might do if elected. I know, a lot of people said that this morning. They said Donald Trump. But it, that clue fits, but it's, uh, no, not him. Here's another one. Um, through even the closest working relationships, none of my most intimate associates feel they know me well, with the exception, perhaps, of my wife. Now, that would fit with Donald. Barack Obama. No. We've gone through, we've been through about 45 presidents uh, over the three services. Um, here we go. I'm considered gregarious and I use my great personal charm to keep most people at a distance. And in campaign speeches, I favoured a buoyant, optimistic, gently paternal tone, spiced with humour. And this is the giveaway. This is the giveaway. I'm the only United States president to be elected four times. Roosevelt, Huntley, congratulations. Huntley, you can come up and claim your prize. Well, it's not a prize because we're a church. <laughs> Huntley, I actually, I had a sister, I, I thought if you were coming along tonight, I knew you were going to get that book. I, I, thought, he was, I thought he'd win. So, anyway, back to business. I'm Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And he served for 12 years in uh, the office of president from March 1933 until his death on the 12th of April 1945. And he led the United States through the Great Depression and World War II. And it, during his first inauguration speech as the 32nd president, uh, he, he, he concentrated his speech very much with a solemn and religious tone to it. And for good reason, because by 1933, the quagmire of the Depression was reaching its pitiful and desperate depth. And keeping in mind the theme of this sermon series, Be Not Afraid, perhaps you might uh, be familiar with one of Roosevelt's most famous quotes, and it goes like this. So first of all, let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror which paralyzes 
needed efforts to convert retreat into advance. But the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Well, I'm not sure when we're thinking about uh, Almighty God, how that fits in. And I wonder if this statement actually resonates with you and how it fits in with your own personal Christian worldview. But for those of you who were here last week, you would have heard Paul Chu's sermon, the first in this series, uh, which focuses on Isaiah 9, 1 to 7, and I encourage you to have it open on page 555 uh, in front of you. And Paul shared with us examples, both personal, um, community and global, pertaining to our ever watchful sense, our almost obsession with fear and are becoming progressively afraid. The more we own, the more we have, the more access to knowing things via the internet, the more we are able to watch, share, comment upon, the more we are afraid. And Paul placed these fears, contrasting them with the sense of bleakness and darkness, up against God as the counsellor, a light to our comfort as expressed in the book of Isaiah. And Isaiah is the longest book in the Bible, written 700 years before Christ, as we heard last week. And it is addressed by the prophet to the failing and corrupt leaders of Israel and Judah and how God's judgment would come upon them. The rebellion against their covenant with God would come at a cost and that God would use the invading kingdoms of Assyria and of Babylon against Jerusalem if they would persist in their idolatry and sin. And the consequences of this appear at the end of chapter 39 where Jerusalem falls and there is the exile of the people of Jerusalem to Babylon. But this message of judgment is counterbalanced with a message of hope. Isaiah believed deeply that God would one day fulfill his covenantal promises, that he would send a king from David's line and establish God's kingdom, that he would lead Israel to obedience to the law which made at the covenant at Mount Sinai back in Exodus 19. Then chapters 40 to 66 pick up the promises of hope of restoration after the exile and that all God's promises would be fulfilled. And what was God's plan and purpose for this? That God's blessing would flow out to all of the nations, not just Israel, that God promised to Abraham in Genesis 12. And it was this hope that compelled Isaiah to speak out against the corruption of idolatry of his day to our reading from Isaiah 9. And this chapter, and the first verses in particular, are a microcosm, a foretaste of this bigger message of the book of Isaiah. We too easily downplay hope, forgetting God's might and his plan for the redemption of his people because we're perhaps over-anxiously attentive to the trials and fears of our times and our own personal experiences, as we heard last Sunday. And that's how it was for Jerusalem in Isaiah's time, when the people of God took their hands off the wheel and the awareness of the might of God was shelved. Then immediately arising out of all the darkness, out of all the fear and gloom of the preceding chapters in Isaiah, comes the development of the promise of new hope. Emmanuel, God is with us in chapter 7, a light out of the darkness. Then in the first seven chapters, uh, sorry, the first seven verses of chapter 9, which you have before you, there is a profound change of direction, with Isaiah taking us from fear to now pointing us to the powerful dominion of mighty God, presented 
as the indivisible trinity. In this text, we see God the Son, God the Father, God the Counselor or Advocate, the Helper, as the Holy Spirit is often referred to, the Parakletos in the New Testament, the everlasting Father whose kingdom uh, and government and peace will have no end. So then as we look back on Isaiah's prophecy, the question for us here, worshipping together as God's gathered people, why then, having had this revealed to us, are we so fearful of almost every dimension of our lives? Similarly, on the flip side of this, are there not times when we have little or any sense of fearing the Lord, failing to come before him in reverence as God Almighty? Would it therefore be unreasonable to state that we have a totally mishmashed understanding of fear and of reverence? Well, I think we do. And the Bible compels us to fear the Lord. There's a reminder just above us here in the archway. If you can see it there, I, I um, misread it till Simon helped me uh, with it. I thought it said reverence MD sanctuard, which didn't make much sense to me, but it actually says uh, reverence my sanctuary a prompt that when we come before the Lord Almighty in fear and reverence and awe. In Psalm 111, it says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. And from the book of Job, but where shall wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Mortals do not know the way to it, and it is not found in the land of the living. And the Lord said to mankind, truly fear the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. I think the inherent problem is that we misunderstand the power of God and what it means to fear God. And often what we fear and how we fear detaches us all the more from our trust in the mighty power of God. Last Monday... I was at the Art Gallery of New South Wales with my mother and we went to the Rembrandt and the Dutch Golden Age exhibition, which if you haven't been, I urgently urge you to do so. And I was standing before uh, this painting, before Rembrandt's The Denial of St Peter, painted in 1660. Michael Jensen suggested I encourage you, which I find very odd to do in church, that you take out your devices and you Google the denial of St. Peter right now and click Rembrandt, put in Rembrandt, the denial of St. Peter, and click on the images. Don't look at your email, just let, keep focused. And have a look at this uh, amazing painting. It's um, the denial of St. Peter by Rembrandt, 1660. And you can have a look at that as I talk you through it. In this nocturnal scene, disproportionately lit by a candle, Peter appears afraid as he is recognised by soldiers as a disciple of Christ. As we know, Peter, out of fear, denies this, however, renouncing his Lord and Saviour. By contrast, there is Christ in the murky darkness in the top right background of the painting. You have to look hard to find him. Our Lord looks back over his shoulders at Peter, as he is led away by Roman soldiers like a lamb to the slaughter. I'm not sure if you can catch a glimpse of Jesus' expression. 
This painting made me recall St Peter's words written well after his multiple denials of Jesus. And I reflected on what Peter went through to reach the point of transformation when he understood what it is to fear the Lord, to trust in Jesus, his only hope. From 1 Peter chapter 5, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. As you can imagine, I stood there quite pensively for several minutes with this thought going through my mind when I noticed a young man who was transfixed by this work. I thought the black T-shirt he was wearing was inside out, um, as stitched on it was a label on his back, the kind that you typically find normally on the inside of a T-shirt, of a garment. Apparently it's fashionable, although I can't see that many of you are up to it here today, but it's quite fashionable to wear it like that. And this was the text on that label. Fear of God. And when I got home, I checked on the internet that Fear of God is a high fashion brand. GQ announces that in four short years, Fear of God has gone from an emerging label that specialised in long line tees and side-zip hoodies to a seemingly unstoppable trend-setting force in the fashion industry. Think of Justin Bieber, or maybe members of our 8 o'clock congregation, for, for, for instance. It's those kind of looking people. Anyway, it made me wonder if this young man had made any connection between the fashion label, Fear of God, and the subject matter of the painting before which he was standing. Such a confronting depiction of denial and abandonment of the God who alone saves. Then as he turned around, his flat-peaked skater's cap read in French, Sécurité, which I'm sure as the French aficionados here amongst us will know translates as security. And that made me even more bewildered. Was this intentional? Could he possibly have an inkling of what I was seeing and feeling? Having fear of God to me conveys, as it uh, as expressed in Psalm 91, hope and security, our refuge and fortress for those who abide in the shadow of the Almighty, the God in whom we trust, for he alone will deliver us from the snares of death and sin. Well, this young fashionista's T-shirt and cap state a truth that perhaps its owner may or may not realise. The word of God is clear that we should fear God, the Bible uses the word fear about 300 times in reference to God, so it's a mistake when we downplay it. The problem is that we've befuddled our understanding of fear. We don't fear or reverence God enough, as the Bible tells us. Rather, we fear so much about our own personal circumstances, and justly at times, often at the expense of not trusting that Almighty God will be true and faithful to his covenantal promises. We're actually frighteningly like the sinful nations of Israel and Judah in Isaiah's day. We are too readily idolatrous, we live contrary to God's laws and in rebellion to him, and we do not fear the Lord anywhere near enough. We do not put our unequivocal trust in the might of God, everlasting Father, and in his Son, the Prince of Peace. Fearing God is essential because it saves us from caving into our own sinful nature. 
an American Presbyterian pastor and Christian philosopher, William D. Eisenhower, and I don't know if he has any U uh, United States presidential heritage, he expresses it this way. He says, unfortunately, many of us presume that the world is the ultimate threat and that God's function is to offset that threat. How different this is from the biblical position that God is far scarier than the world. When we assume that the world is the ultimate threat, we give the world unwarranted power. For in truth, the world's threats are temporary. When we expect God to balance the stress of the world, we reduce him to the world's equal. As I walk with the Lord, I discover that God poses an ominous threat to my ego, but not to me. He rescues me from my delusions, so he may reveal the truth that sets me free. He casts me down only to lift me up again. He sits in judgment of my sin, but forgives me nevertheless. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but love from the Lord is its completion. So I, for one, am far from convinced that Franklin Roosevelt's firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear of self, is what the Bible teaches us. Despite his proclaimed faith in Jesus as his Lord, although I found out at lunchtime he was less than faithful as a husband, you can watch a 2012 movie, Hyde Park on Hudson, to find out more. It's M-rated, so most of you would be safe in watching it. But back to business. As Christians, we easily misread and fail to grasp the meaning of fearing the Lord, of showing him due reverence. We interpret the authority of God or fear of God as a detriment to our own personal happiness and obstruction and an obstruction to our own freedom, especially when we feel that we are of the elect and that we have assurance of our salvation. Such complacency is a pitfall. Rather, we ought to live our lives with the right fear of God and with an understanding of God's mighty power, his holiness and eternal truth. As it says in Hebrews 12, therefore let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Well, today marks in the church calendar the beginning of Advent. The focus of the entire season is preparation to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ in his first Advent and as foretold in the book of Isaiah. Advent is also the season of the anticipation of the return of Christ the King in his second Advent when, as we profess each week in the Nicene Creed at the 8 o'clock service, when he shall come again with glory to judge both the quick and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. And as you might have noticed, for Advent, the primary colour is purple, and you can see that on the frontal, on the Lord's table in front of you. This is the colour of penitence, of fasting, as used in Lent, as well as the colour of royalty, to welcome the advent of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. 
Advent is marked by a spirit of expectation, of anticipation, of preparation, of longing. There is a yearning for deliverance from the evils and fears of this world. It is the cry of those who have experienced the tyranny of injustice in a world under the curse of sin and yet who have hope of deliverance by a mighty God, the one who has heard the cries of the oppressed throughout history and has brought deliverance. It is that hope, however, faint at times it is for some of us, and that, the, and that God, however distant he may sometimes fear from, uh, appear to us, which brings to the world the anticipation of a king who will rule with justice over his people and his creation. It is that hope that once anticipated and now anticipated, it's, anticipates anew the reign of an anointed one, a Messiah or mighty God who will bring peace and righteousness to this world. Let us aim to cast out our worldly fears, as Isaiah prophesied uh, 700 years before Christ. And it's, it's there in front of you there in those final verses. There will be no gloom for those who are in anguish. For the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. For a child has been born for us, a son given to us. Authority rests upon his shoulders, and his name, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everliving Father, Prince of Peace. His authority shall grow continually, and there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. He will establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time onward and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before his presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Saviour, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen.